Hello and welcome to E3, Energy and Efficiency with Emily. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about architecture, building science, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. Welcome back to Building Durability, Architecture, and some other building science-y things with Building Science Fight Club. I had the pleasure of speaking with Christine. If you missed it last week, check out part one. But let's jump right back into the discussion with Christine on building science, our homes, and what we've got going on. When my husband and I first started dating, before we were married, we went to a party at a friend of his a friend of his house. And I think this was like one of our first dates. And I my husband almost got in a fight, like a physical fight. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh boy. Um, and there was this guy at this party who was just a real, a real jerk. And this wasn't like a huge party. This wasn't that many people. And it was the, a friend, a different friend of the host. And he was asking me, um, he really didn't like immigrants. I remember that because, um, because he said, I'm Canadian. And he, he was like, well, that's a problem with this country. Anyway, whatever. Um, so obviously not a cool guy, but he was asking me, I mean, he was kidding, but kind of not. But anyway, this guy was asking me what I did, what I did for a living. And I described it to him in a way that I, I, I often, I often do. I say, well, suppose that you're, um, I, I said, I help, I help owners deal with, at the time I was doing mostly commercial construction, um, manage risk in their, in their buildings. So suppose you're, um, manage the risk of technical failure in their buildings. So suppose you're a developer and you install 10,000 windows a year, a certain percentage of those leak and you're responsible for going back and fixing those. Um, will you know what it costs you to go and fix, replace those windows and, and replace any damaged flooring or interior finishes that got damaged as a result? Whatever that is, you know what your failure rate is and you know what it costs and what that costs you. Well, there's a lot of different windows you can buy and there's a lot of different ways that you can install them. So I help people. Uh, I don't, I don't make the determination for them, but I let them know, okay, from a technical perspective, here's what you can do if you wanted to get your failure rate from 1% to, um, to half a percent, from half a percent to, to a quarter of a percent. And at a certain point, there, that, there's the rule of diminishing returns, right? It's not, uh, it's not worth it to spend an extra, you know, twice as much money to, for a, a, a very small um, reduction in, in risk. At a certain point, it's just easier to fix the odd problem that does come off. Um, but, uh, but anyway, I was describing right. this and the guy was like, right. well, that's not acceptable. My failure rate for my windows is zero. Like I, none of, and I was like, well, I can appreciate that you don't want your windows to leak, but that's, that's <laughs> buildings are complex and uh, they probably, well, my windows don't leak. Well, I'm pretty sure your windows do leak. In fact, that's a bet I would take with any person in any kind of structure. And I would be pretty confident in that you, your window. I don't know how to tell you this, but your windows leak, buddy. Uh, well, that's not the failure rate is zero. It's zero. That's the, anyway. So he was telling me that I shouldn't have a job, but um, also that I shouldn't be in this country. So obviously kind of a jerk. Um, but, uh, but all that's to say is I think that's the difference between um, approaching something as a, as a professional and essentially being an amateur at this stuff. So it's really easy to be 
dismissive when it's somebody else's profession, right? But knowing the ins and outs of all of this stuff is what helps us, what helps us make those really difficult decisions um, about how to best allocate someone else's resources. And that's a lot of pressure sometimes, but um, anyway, we do the best we can. Unfortunately, I feel like there's, there's some weird thing in building to where everybody thinks they have some level of knowledge and understanding about Oh, right. Because everybody lives in houses. So yeah, of course. So so they know everything about it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I think, a failure of our entire profession, contractors, architects, engineers, et cetera. You know, there shouldn't be any reason why mechanical systems aren't engineered. There shouldn't be any reason why, you know, the, the architect and the builder aren't, you know, collaborating on the team. It's, it's kind of crazy. How- on the, on the flip side though, it's something kind of nice about a profession too, is that everybody feels connected to it. So it's true. true. Everybody's an expert. Like this guy is like, certain that his windows don't leak and is certain he knows more about it than I do. Um, but, uh, but also he, like people care enough about it because they, they care a lot about their houses. So I don't know. It's nice to have a profession where, I mean, I like how many people, when you say that you're an, like you're an architect, oh, I wanted to study architecture. Architecture is great. All the time. I mean, all the time. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's, and that's because they like it. That's not because, I mean, it, it does get a little bit uh, annoying. My husband's a writer. So people do the same thing. They're like, they ask him two questions. They ask, are you published? Um, he's like, I'm 45. If I weren't published, I'd just tell you I was a bartender. <laughs> like tell you I did um, something else. <laughs> and the second thing they say is I wish I were a writer or I'm working on a book or whatever. Um, and they do, they do that, that these professions, architecture, writing, whatever, there's something sort of romantic to them. And I think that's charming. And I like that. I like that. I, I think most of us, any, all of my friends anyway, uh, don't just like, I mean, maybe they have frustrations in their jobs day to day and maybe they don't even actually like their actual job, but they love the profession. Because why? how could you not? This is so cool. It's magic. I also think that if you went to architecture school and you became an architect, it was because you liked architecture because it's either you <laughs> like it or love the profession or you don't. There's sort of no middle ground, um, which leads me into one of my last questions. Let me ask you two more questions, which is when I went to architecture school, it was 50-50. There were 50% women and 50% men when we graduated. I mean, we started with 100 students. We graduated 30. It was still a 50-50 <laughs> I know, ratio. That's so the way. I know, like, like, if you didn't like architecture, you got out. You know, it weeds people out really, really quickly. Um, and then of those people, um, it would be really interesting to go back of those people who continued on and actually got a degree in architecture because architecture school is so different than practicing architecture. Um, But according to a lot of research, only about 17% of registered architects are women. But I wonder what happened to to a lot of the women in the architecture field. Are they still working in architecture, but not licensed? Did they have kids? Did they just decide they didn't like architecture? Um, You know, and I talk specifically about architecture. There's even less women in construction. I think it's like 9%. And so somebody had said something to me today, like, how do we encourage other women or other minorities or other people to kind of get into construction. If we're going into a recession, being an architect might again be one of those gamefully unemployed professions. Um, But construction um, never seemed to bounce back after 2009. They've always had a labor shortage. And so I don't know 
if you have any ideas from teaching or, or experience or talking to other people is like, where, where did all the women go after architecture school? Well, okay, so I don't know. <laughs> um, the, the short answer is I don't really know. I mean, I sort of, I have some opinions on it and some ideas and some thoughts, but um, I think that I don't, I don't know enough to sort of definitively comment on the whole, on the whole state of the profession or even what's, what's desirable, right? Like from a numbers standpoint, what do we actually, like at what, what's, what number, what statistical number would make us happy? Like, and who decides what that number is? Like what's, what? Right. And does it have to be 50-50? Does it matter if it is? I don't know. What if it's a little more? Is that going to be a problem? Like yeah. what? I, so I don't, I don't know that. And I don't, and I don't know that it's necessarily, I mean, some people need to look at this stuff at that level and that's, I'm glad that they are, but I'm not, or I don't feel particularly gifted at that. And I don't know what, what should be the case or not, but on on an individual level, yeah, I think um, I found so much satisfaction and joy from finding my little place in in the profession, uh, and I I want other people to enjoy their jobs, whatever it is, as as much as I do. And I I would like for especially young people to uh, be as open minded as possible about the possibilities that exist for their professional enrichment later later in life um yeah i think uh for i I think one of the challenges that we really have is a bit of a blue collar white collar divide and um and i think that's particularly destructive in our culture right now and in our and in our profession we see it a lot i think um i think a lot of men and women would really thrive in construction administration jobs for example um and they never they never consider it because it's not, it's just not on their, it's not on their radar and their, maybe their parents, maybe their colleagues, teachers, whatever, their elders think that it's beneath them or, or whatever, or they just don't know what it is. I, what, who knows? But I think a lot of people would be very happy with, um, with those types of jobs. They're not desks. I mean, they're a combination of kind of an office job and a, and a, and a field job. And that would, there are a lot of young men and women who would absolutely thrive in those kind of professions and they take intelligence and spatial uh, spatial awareness type intelligence they take organization they take it takes a tremendous amount of leadership um and and these are big jobs that pay well Uh, if you're managing these you know 100 million dollar building and you're good at it i mean that's that's a good thing there's a anyway i so i encourage people young people whenever i talk to them to to figure that out but all of that being said, I think that um, really the two things that probably contribute the most to any person's happiness, um, and I'm this is a guess, I guess, I just think this is probably true, uh, is uh, who you end up marrying or who, who your partner is and um, having children. And I, I say this as a childless married person, but, um, but those decisions are, are really, really, really important. Uh, now, your career also really matters, but I think that it's, um, we spend a lot of time kind of conditioning young people to put a lot of effort into developing the skills that will make them a good employee uh, and less emphasis on the skills that will make them a good partner um, and a good parent. And, uh, and I 
I think that's sort of out, I, I don't know, I think that's sort of out, uh, we're out a little out of, out of whack in our, in our educational system in that way. Because I mean, ask people with most people, look, what, am, what makes you happiest in your life? Like you're lucky if you, if you like your job. I really like my job. I hope everybody loves their job, but what makes me happiest is, you know, having a base level of security and awesome people that I love and get to spend time with and enjoy. And I think that's pretty true for, for a lot of people. So um, anyway, so that's to say, I don't, I don't, I think favoring again, emphasizing credentialism within the profession of, of architecture or the building industry as a whole is, um, is less important than, well, let's make sure individual people can thrive wherever they carve a space out for themselves. So I would love to see, yeah, I think what 17% per, uh, women reg are registered of registered architects are women. Well, yeah, we want to know what, more about what's really going on there. Um, but getting, that's just a percentage. It's people that actually matter. And are we trying to sort of, I think a lot of times we focus, when we focus about these numbers, we're looking at the elite in the profession. And honestly, I don't care how many principals are women at Gensler. I don't care. It doesn't, I, I do not care. I don't care, not even a little bit. Um, but I do care a great deal if young men and women, uh, or especially young women, feel like they uh, can't get a break when they step onto a onto a job site. Um, that that matters a lot. But I, like focusing on, you know, it's it's like um, the equivalent of focusing on who Harvard lets into their class rather than well, what's the overall high school graduation rate across the country, <laughs> like. I don't care who gets into Harvard. I care, like I care if, if um, if we've got failing schools down the street from me in Dallas. Uh, that's and those are those are different things. So I think sometimes we we look at this sort of abstraction at the expense of um, at the expense of uh, of the of the real people. And um, anyway, that's my thoughts on that. But someone who knows more about this and who's really passionate about it could I'm sure convincingly tell me no 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 you should pay attention more and I would say uncle I agree with you um so I don't have fully formed opinions and so maybe I shouldn't have spoken at all <laughs> until I knew more about the topic you, but you brought up a really good point in some of how I think about the education system too is that we are cultured to say you have to go to college and I think that that maybe isn't the right answer for everybody. Um, I went to college. I enjoy architecture. I'm glad I went to architecture school. I see my plumber who makes so much more money than me. And I think I could have gone to trade school. I could have been a plumber and I could have made a ton yeah. more money. And then I think, well, intellectually, I don't know that being a plumber would have satisfied my personal goals, but I, I wonder if we push too many people to go to college, you would if they had the experience with a technical, you know, there, there aren't as many technical high schools, you know, where they have a shop program or where they have a building program where we introduce people to trades earlier. And so there's misconception, maybe that construction is hard. It's difficult on the body. It's, you know, whatever, um, that leads people to not get into some of those fields. I don't know. Either. Yeah. There, I, there's so many good opportunities, particularly for women, I think, in construction administration. I, I really encourage any young people. I, I gave a talk at my high school, which was an all-girls school, um, 
I guess probably five years ago now, it was at my 15 year reunion and I just missed my 20th because of coronavirus. But um, that was the, they invited me to speak at the assembly and, um, and I spoke about being in construction. Actually, sort of interestingly, I spoke about, uh, I told a story, it's too long to tell the story now to repeat it, but I was driving a, uh, a boom lift. I was operating a boom lift in at this big project and the machine was sort of skitting out a little bit, but, um, people were, it was at a hotel and people were watching me and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like very intense. And it occurred to me that um, I would be a lot better at this if I played video games <laughs> because you've got like a, you know, a joystick yeah. and like the, the practice that it. I was like, oh. <laughs> anyway. Um, but, um, but I told that story and I think mostly they loved it, but some of the parents were there and I'm sure some of them were like, you do not tell my daughter to, to get into construction. We wore a uniform. So I brought my, my hard hat and my steel toe boots that were all muddy and my vest. And I told them that I, that I traded their uniform for, I hated the uniform. I couldn't wait to not wear one. And now I wear a different one. And, um, anyway, they really liked it, but I, um, I encouraged, I encouraged these young women who are, for the most part, college bound, and that's great, um, that, but I encourage them to think about this as a profession because the building industry requires uh, really smart people and leadership, and, uh, and it rewards, rewards them accordingly. Like, you can make good money. Um, now, there's some downsides, too, if you really want to pursue construction administration in particular. Um, a lot of times you have to relocate and that's very hard um, on, on families. That's hard for men too. It's, it's very hard when you have to up and move your, your, your whole family or move without them. And then you're basically commuting, um, which a lot of the, a lot of the guys that I work with um, on some of the bigger projects end up, end up doing. Um, but anyway, it's pluses and minuses, but I like to have it at least on, on the radar of, of, um, of young people. And I, it's, I, I get really upset about the, the blue collar, white collar divide because I think it leads to a lot of unhappiness. Like people would otherwise, I think, really thrive. How many young people do you know that would just, ah, oh, they would just love the excitement of like watching something before their eyes come together and being part of organizing that. And that was uh, one of the the yeah. that was one of the things that one of the students said to me um was it was so cool to to have built that house and then be able to see it you know and, and like it came together in front of them that you know they had this plan it was just this idea and then they built it and it was this concrete thing so many people would would have value in that. I actually think in architecture school, it would have value if you, you know, if you spent your summers working on a construction crew and going to, Absolutely. going to different ones. Like if you're in the Navy, um, they in the summertime have to go, uh, at least at the Naval Academy, they have to do different parts. So you can find out if you're, if you could be on a submarine, which is a really interesting, unique experience, you know, or are you, know, are you on a tanker or are you, do you go to flight school? You know, and they, they try a bunch of different things to find out where their interest lies. Cause you might go and you think like, I'm going to be a submarine person. That's what I want to do. And you know, at 18, we're all like, yeah, we're going to do whatever. Right. <laughs> and then you go and yeah. you're like, you're underwater for eight weeks. And you're like, um, this is the worst thing ever. I didn't like this at all. And so I think it's really hard that we kind of push people to decide 
at 18 would they would they think they want to do like when you yeah it's you go to architecture school right out of high school if you if you do that there's plenty of people who go to architecture school later but if you go to architecture school right out of high school it's like a commitment at 18 that this is what you're gonna do for the next like nine years of your life and with architecture school in particular unfortunately it's um the disconnect between what what young what students imagine the profession is like and what it actually is like is can be pretty big um and that's I think that's really disappointing for a lot of people because the perception of architecture is often a very elite one right like it's everybody's designing these towers in Dubai um and that's not and actually and that sort of goes into what i was talking about before when we talk about the the gender divide in the profession are we looking at well what's going on in new york city um at the elite firms are we are we saying that like <laughs> we want women to be just as much a part of the i think oftentimes destructive elitist culture um as men or are we concerned with the whole profession because somebody with a five-person firm in kansas city is having a really different experience of of the profession of architecture uh than somebody at um you know i don't know hok in their la office um and that's not to say like I don't want to make it sound like I, I'm sort of condemned. Like we owe a huge debt of gratitude to the super cool stuff that um, that the, the the top of our profession produces. So I don't want to be I don't want to be too negative about that. But it's not the same thing. Like the um, the experience is different, and so maybe the honestly I don't have a lot to contribute to what architecture culture is like in elite firms in a big city. I don't either. I have no experience with it. I don't know what that's like. So I can't comment on it. That was never anything I wanted to do. Um, and, but, and it's, but that's a small part of the profession. So like, yeah. So do we want, do we want that sort of leading everything? There's a lot of, and, and what if people don't have an inclination to that? Does that make them sort of less less valuable as practitioners because you're a female architect who owns your practice or maybe you didn't get your license yet but you run a successful business that allows you the flexibility and quality of life that you like in your Dallas practice in your whatever um in your New Jersey practice um does that is that are you is that are you a failure Uh, because you're not in the right part of the but but you are right in a certain sense because you're not you're not part of the statistic that we're looking at as an example of that we're using to judge this. So I think we have to be really, really careful as what um, we have to be careful that we don't substitute the metric for what it is we're actually trying to evaluate. Like the sort of like blower door tests actually. So the blower door test is an indication. It's not valuable in and of itself. It's we, we can't, we can't substitute the, the test for what it's meant to represent, which is how efficient are we at enclosing our space? The blower door is giving us at one point in time. Um, it's we're pressure, we're artificially pressurizing the building and seeing what happens. We're building, we don't operate our buildings at 50 pascals, positive pressure constantly. We don't do that. So like, it's not always 20 mile an hour wind on all sides of your building. <laughs> At the same time. So let's not confuse the measurement tool for the thing that we're trying to measure. Yeah. And I think sometimes we can, when we're trying to make sort of broad statements about the state of the profession, sometimes we, we get tempted into, into doing that and it leads us to some sort of weird um, conclusions. Um, and so I think my last question, uh, 
is, um, what is your number one building science book that you recommend? Or uh, could be also a website or a publication. I'm willing to consider that not everybody is going to go to the, to the uh, event of reading an entire book. I'm a book person. I love books too. My so my dad is um, is Joe Stebrick, and he um, is just phenomenal building scientist and a great teacher. And so I ask him all the time, like just professional questions. I talk to him all the time. I'm like, hey, dad, what do you think about such and such, or like random little stuff where it's like, hey, somebody asked me today, like why we typically don't. Um, really bother with under slab insulation at offsetting the joints. Um, and like we don't really obsess that much like usually it's just a single layer of two inch but anyway we don't do that I was like hey why do we do that again like what's what's up anyway I call him all the time for questions like that and almost always he answers the question with well if you go to my website and if you read <laughs> building science insight number 64 or whatever it is um, you will find the answer to that question um, so my favorite resource apart from calling him is uh, are the building science insights on um on buildingscience.com they're completely free if you read one a week uh and that was your sort of commitment to continuing education uh and you just started from the first one and then just kept going through i think there's there's like over a hundred now, but if you just, once you get to the end, start again. I mean, you could, you could, you're never too good for them. They're, um, I, every time, every time I read one, I learn something new, even if it's something that I'm already familiar with. So that one's good. And then other, and then books, physical books, you know, do you guys know, um, have you seen Henry Gifford's book on, um, it's called buildings don't lie. Mike might've said something about that the other day. It's kind of badass. <laughs> it's like um, somebody who's giving you like a quick and dirty rundown. I mean, it's a textbook. It's big, so it's not that quick. Uh, but it's sure. it's an informal way of teaching complicated material. But like, this is what you really need to know. So he's he's a New York guy. So most of the examples are are kind of they're cold climate based, and a lot of them are apartments. He deals with houses too, but a lot of it is multifamily. Um, it's both forensic and um, and new construction, and he's got chapters on everything. It's really well illustrated. It's kind of a it's kind of a neat book. I, I really, I, I enjoy that one a lot. It's called Buildings Don't Lie, Henry Gifford. And I think you can get it on, on Amazon. Um, heavy. It's like, it's really heavy. Um, but it's a great book. It's, uh, and Henry's a, Henry's an interesting character and has been a real gift to our, to our industry. So you're, um, you're supporting someone who's done a, done a great deal, especially in, um, in the passive house communities contributed to a lot of really great passive houses. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's a great resource. Um, obviously, I spend lots of time on <laughs> corporation. I'm always going there. I always tell my students to go to there. I always tell other architects if they have a question there. Um, and it was funny um, starting this idea of a book recommendation on building science at the end of the podcast started last week with Travis because I was um, I had just recorded with them after my class was over, and I was like oh yeah, you know, I love this book for basic building science. And he's like, wait, wait, what, you know, he, I'm a book person, show me. And I was going through it and I'm like, and everybody needs a Steebrick book as I like pull out my cold climate Steebrick book. <laughs> you know? And so I refer to that so too. often too. That's actually probably even better than if you're an architect, 
the the what they have it for every, different climates. He's he's doing a new one. He's updating okay. it, and he's going to do one book, and it's going to have all the climates all of the in it. Climates oh, in nice. it. Yeah. That's going to be awesome. Um, so that's that's coming too. But um, I I refer to that so often. Better for residential. Me too. The spine's cracked. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. all I do is residential. So, um, you know, it's easier. Well, that's all I do now. I mean, the physics, the, the physics are the same, but the construction types are different. So if you're looking for like, what do I do as a basis of, where do I start? Like, what should my, um, you know, slab edge detail look like? I pop open, I pop open yeah. that and we'll start with that. Then you end up having to adjust stuff based exactly. on whatever your project is calling for. But when I'm like, uh, where do I start? That's where I start. Yeah, me too. Almost always. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. This is a different detail. Okay. You know, cause, uh, uh, people have heard me say on the podcast, I'm not a huge fan of basements. And so when you first start not doing basements anymore, there's like a whole bunch of <laughs> new conditions that you have to consider. Why do you like basements? What's, what's up with basements? Why, what have you got against them? Um, Barry, you've had some experience burying the bodies down there. Um, yeah, I think I did way, way too many years of, um, energy audits on existing wet basement buildings. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So I'm kind of like anti disgusting basements from that experience. Um, and like you said, there's always some kind of water. And I think that people forget that their basement is an integral part of their whole structure. And yeah. so yeah. since we kind of can't control what people do in your home after you leave it, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> can I just eliminate one thing that might become a problem? Um, this might become an issue. And do uh, sometimes there are great reasons to have basements, you know, even uh, as I say that I'm sitting in my basement office, um, because our house sits on a walkout slope. And so this house, it just... Well, it's kind of a different setup it's, it's than a It's not exactly a basement. I have two walls that are yeah. underground and two walls that aren't. And so, um, you know, there are good reasons for basements. Or if you have a really small house and you need to put mechanical equipment in the basement, something like that. So there are reasons to What do if basements. you want a basketball court? in your basement you can't have a have basketball court in your basement and the reason i know this is because you need 18 feet worth of ceiling height for a basketball hoop and uh the reason i know this is because i had a client who wanted to build a garage that was big enough to build a basketball court in the first floor of the garage they i think they did i don't know what the story is but there's something my brother was telling me this story maybe this is sensationalized so i shouldn't repeat it on a podcast publicly but pretty sure i think this is obviously this is is uh, qualifying enough caveat, so nobody needs to take it too seriously. But somebody, um, some <laughs> some rich guy, celebrity, whatever, there was some sort of allowance to, or there, or there wasn't a prohibition in Aspen for building lower. And of course, the property values are so high there. So some guy did install a basement, a basketball court in this old. In the, and he just dug down mm -hmm. like eighteen feet and or whatever, it's <laughs> partially under a Victorian, and it's in the town of Aspen. I'm like, I saw the house. House. Now I, whatever, my brother could be sensationalizing this or this is, you know, the game of telephone that people tell you, Oh, did you hear it? Oprah <laughs> lives there too. And you know, whatever, <laughs> this is obviously totally it gets better and better with every reiteration. Yeah, exactly. But I think there, I think there is some truth to that where there was some, there wasn't a prohibition against building down. So some guy with a lot of money was like, Oh really? Okay. <laughs> Let's, I'm going to have a mine, you know, anyway. 
crazy crazy yeah, architectural stuff funny. yeah things that you can figure out that you would not have done otherwise <laughs> no they just sold a house there for um uh what was the they had a record square footage price it was an old uh it was a renovated victorian and it just sold for almost almost four thousand dollars a square foot i think oh yeah wow. it was crazy Ooh. um anyway um it was a ton of money though which is crazy because at that price point so many other things become worth it from a or so many other things are on the table from a right. from a design perspective that might not otherwise make sense yeah that you're like do I really need a basketball court in the basement if I'm going to spend this amount of money is that what I really thirty three hundred dollars a square foot that was uh that was the that was last February $3,300 a square foot. Wow. Crazy, right? That's crazy. Could you even imagine? I mean, <laughs> no. Oh, anyway. <laughs> I cannot. So anyway, thank you for coming on the podcast today. It was very exciting. I feel like we've been talking for a long time. This was great. I had a good time. Thank you so much for, yeah, for having me. I did too. Let's do it again. Let's do it regularly. Uh, there are so many questions that I'm just like, oh, I'm going to get her on. And I'm going to ask about this. That's been one of the best parts about doing the BS and Beer Show is like, informally meeting people you don't already know and connecting yeah, yeah. where you can where you can see them face to face and you can actually make a connection with someone which is cool so well now I have all these people I can ask about double stud walls so maybe I can <laughs> I can reduce my aversion to them <laughs> it's already starting you guys are crumbling away we're, we're doing it yeah you, you need to talk to Ben in fact I'm going to um I'm gonna have Ben on the podcast again because uh, the feedback that I got the last time was uh Ben didn't talk enough and so <laughs> he's so I'm gonna, great you. I'm gonna have been back on I'm going to talk and I gave him a whole bunch of topics and one of them was like the risks of double stud balls and they've been putting like monitors in theirs and you know really understanding it and so I think it'd be cool to oh yeah again with him and just like give us the down and dirty on double stud balls and like what you do what you don't do where the risk is you know why and so it should be for the record, I liked his wall a lot better than Michael's wall sorry <laughs> that's okay um, I did. I liked it a lot better because I like the, um, I like having a rigid material on the outside to waterproof too. Yeah. Um, I'm a pro panelization person. But I'm um, pro panelization too. I like it too. Yeah. You're right. You know, so it was hard. So I'm like, yeah, it, yeah, it was a I'm with you. Because I'm like, I really think that we should be promoting some more panelization. You know, it, it, Ted Benson was totally correct. It doesn't solve every problem in the market. It just fills a, a, a need yeah. that we have, which is awesome. Totally um, agree. So I'm like, I'm pro penalization, but at the same time, I do more double stud walls than anything else. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's almost like we can't have a one size all fit decision and we need architects to uh, make individual determinations based on the facts of, of each case. This is exactly why we need architects. Or my favorite saying about architects is, if if engineers designed all the buildings, everybody would live in Walmart. <laughs> there you go. Actually, I was with box. my dad on a. I was I was with my dad on a on a project. He was um he he was in Dallas on a on a job, and I was like, that's in my neighborhood. I'm coming with you. So I I went and um, walked this job site with him, and it was the um, building paper had been uh like installed but the window openings hadn't been cut yet so it was like this giant elevation with no windows and he pointed <laughs> to it and like totally dryly said that's my favorite form of water management <laughs> no windows it's like yeah i yeah, exactly. love <laughs> listening to your dad speak i think i heard him speak 
oh my God, I don't even know how long ago it was. He came to Portland and I heard him for the first time. And I was like, I love this guy. This is so <laughs> hilarious. Like, well, he sometimes, he's not for the faint hearted. He can he uh, beat up on not. architects a lot, which is, um, I, I try to try to lobby Which is why you went to architecture school. Obviously. Because well, I'm dad. <laughs> but, um, but no, he's, um, it's, it's good. So it's, he's, uh, it's, it's good when you uh, can take everything with a, with the yeah. grin and the wink that it's intended with. Yeah. I thought it was funny. I could see how other people might not interpret it in the same way, but I thought it was hysterical. This is <laughs> why I got to keep him to stay like stay off social media because you can't see the you can't see the wink and the grin right people would just texting. think that he's being really really mean to them uh, maybe <laughs> you're like no um, social media for you all right well thank you so much and um talk to you later it was a pleasure to have Christine on this week it is always good to think about science in different ways if you've been watching the BS and beer show you've seen it come up that if you're only looking at one data point or one metric, you may not actually be getting the answer to the question that you wanted, which was one of the questions this week was how do we get more women into architecture and construction? But the answer, just because there's only 9% in construction and 17% in architecture, maybe that's not the right metric that we need to be looking at. But also encouraging young people to just try different things to go to trade schools or work on a job site or work with their hands and spatially and maybe that's how we get people interested in the construction industry so absolute pleasure having her on this week I'm trying to take into account the things that you ask for share more share less so if you have something that you'd like to share with me emily at matramarch.com and you can tell me what you'd like to hear on the podcast, or if you have a guest that you'd like to hear more from who's already been on, or if you have a burning question for a guest that we haven't had on and you'd like to see if I can get them on the podcast so that you can ask your questions, just let me know. Like and share on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple iTunes. You can also listen on our website, www.matramarch.com forward slash the dash podcast. Until next time, keep it nerdy.